What goes through your mind when you hear that the living God is our servant? That's the title of the next message in our Gift Giver series. We see in Scripture that Jesus is not only our Lord, He is our servant. This makes us pause and think, doesn't it? We're going to take a look at the passages where Jesus served God and His people, fulfilling the law and the gospel. What does this mean for us? Let's listen now to a message called, The Living God is Our Servant, Part 2. How often and how deeply have you thought about the fact that God, the living God, is constantly serving you? God is your servant. Luke chapter 22. And so Jesus says, who is the greater? The one who reclines at the table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? No, he says, but I am among you as the one who, what? Serves. I am among you as the one who serves. I want you to first of all understand that there's a context for Luke 22. It goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. Jesus says the one who serves in Luke 22 finds its rich soil in the suffering servant in Isaiah, chapters 52 and 53. Jesus, throughout his whole life, saw himself as the suffering servant figure, and he always interpreted his mission especially what the Father had called him to do in terms of suffering and dying for people. And so what then does it look like as Jesus is a true and faithful servant to carry out his divine service to these needy sinners here? And Luke tells us that the servant of the Lord, listen to this very carefully, he gathered his disciples together on the day of unleavened bread, which is Passover. And he wanted to eat the Passover with them because he's going to turn this old covenant custom sacrament into the new covenant sacrament, the Lord's Supper. So listen carefully. The servant of the Lord, who is the gift giver, gathers together his gathered guests to serve them. And Luke shows us that Jesus has taken the initiative. He is saving his people as the faithful, obedient servant of the Lord. And to highlight this fact that the disciples are in great need of Jesus' divine service at this moment, Christ's words of institution are given and highlights our great need. He says to them, this is my body which is given for you. Who is the you? You who are going to, listen, betray and flee from me. You who are going to deny me, Peter, this is for you. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so the Lord's Supper that he institutes here in Luke 22 will signify and seal that Jesus, on the day of unleavened bread, the Passover, he is the sacrificial lamb through which God will pass over the sins of his people. So what is Holy Communion? What is the Eucharist? What is the Lord's Supper? It is a sign and seal that God's wrath, his anger has passed over us. That Christ has endured the cup of God's wrath so that we could drink the cup of salvation. That's what Jesus is doing here for needy sinners. 
And then Luke, look at chapter 22, verse 15. He adds this little detail, which is very interesting. He says that Jesus earnestly desired to eat the Passover meal with his disciples before he suffered. He earnestly desired this. Now look at the contrast that Luke is giving us. In the midst of betrayal, sorrow, agony, Jesus, the faithful servant, still earnestly desired to serve his people. That's grace. Grace, mercy, long-suffering are the forms of God's loving service to needy sinners. And surely God's long-suffering in relation to sinners is abundantly highlighted here in Jesus' loving service to his disciples, is it not? How many of you are immensely grateful for God's long-suffering mercy and grace toward you, a needy sinner? He, that is the form that his love takes as a servant toward you. Were he not long-suffering toward us, his patience would run out. And you don't want that. And then we see Jesus' divine service is highlighted by the fact in Luke 22, 17 and 19, that at the Lord's Supper, as he institutes the new covenant, and he, as he fulfills Passover and transforms and institutes the new covenant and the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of Holy Communion, Jesus' divine service is highlighted by the fact that he gives thanks in the midst of temptation to quit, desertion by his disciples, and betrayal by his friends. He's giving thanks. Now, admittedly, Jesus is following the order of an ancient custom of the Passover feast. The Passover feast would always begin with a prayer of thanksgiving by the head of the house, and he would drink the first cup of diluted wine. And yes, it was real wine. It wasn't grape juice. It was real wine. And the head of the house would drink this and give thanks to God. But Jesus giving thanks at this Passover meal and turning into the Lord's Supper is doing something much more than following an ancient custom. I want you to listen to what he's doing here. By giving thanks in the midst of all of this sin, Jesus offered as the faithful, perfect, obedient servant, he answered back to the Father with perfect gratitude on our behalf. On behalf of 11 ungrateful, disputing, arguing disciples who were glory-seeking for themselves, who had no thankfulness in their hearts whatsoever, he was thanking the Father on their behalf. They were invited to his Passover meal to be served by him. What grace. And while demonstrating grace, Jesus rebukes his disciples for posturing and position and power. Luke chapter 22, verses 25 and 26, he does rebuke them. And he insists that the greatest in God's kingdom is the youngest. Now, what does he mean by that? What is, when we read that in the passage, the greatest among you is the youngest. What did he mean by that? We have to understand the first century culture they were in. It's just a cultural custom. Back in that day, in that culture, if you were the youngest, you were the least in honor. 
And in shocking fashion, Jesus applies his teaching to himself. He says, I am the least in honor among you. His humiliation, his suffering on behalf of his people, God in human flesh humbling himself, right? Least in honor. As the 12 reclined around the table, arguing about who has the greatest honor, Jesus says, I have the least honor among you. And having just literally served them in the Lord's Supper and fulfilled Passover and fulfilling the Mosaic Covenant, keeping the law perfectly on their behalf, they have no idea he's even doing this to win their righteousness for them. He looks at his disciples and he says, for who is greater? The one who reclines at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. This is shocking. Christ's self-disclosure summarizes the essence and purpose for his coming to this earth. He came to be a servant. His entire earthly sojourn was a life of rendering service to others. He is the faithful covenant servant of the Lord, and he declared that he had not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was, understand this, Jesus wasn't just born. He was appointed and sent by his father to accomplish the servant mission assigned to him, and he would accomplish it, Luke says, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then look at chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. Luke continues his narrative to reveal how Christ serves us. In verses 31 through 34, Jesus, even though he foretells Peter's denial of him here, he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to deny me, Peter. He tells Peter that. But as he tells Peter that, look what he does to Peter. At the same time, he reassures Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Now look at all that is going on in the busyness of all this with Jesus, surrounding Jesus. And he can remember this detail of Peter. Peter, you're going to deny me, but don't worry. I'm serving you, Peter, and I've taken care of that too. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He's serving Peter. What a lesson in divine service. Jesus is gracious preserving service. This is the doctrine of preservation of the saints. We thank God for it every week in our service. Lord, thank you for our creation. Thank you for our preservation. This preserving service is intended to equip Peter for effective service in the future because in verse 32, look what Jesus says to him. Peter, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. People who are restored from sin know how to strengthen others. People not restored from sin have no clue how to serve sinners. What a lesson in gracious restorative service to those who fall badly like Peter. He just tried to chop a man's head off and he just denied Christ three times and, and the servant of the Lord says, Peter, 
You're going to deny me. Take heart. I've prayed for you that your faith won't fail. I am preserving you, Peter. And then look at Luke 22, verses 35 to 38. Jesus is the faithful servant. He reiterates his mission to fulfill scripture and his mission of redemption. He says, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said, nothing. He's serving them. They didn't lack anything. He took care of everything. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack and let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Jesus fulfills the whole Old Testament. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Luke chapter 22, verses 39 through 46, Jesus is the faithful servant, is agonizing in prayer. He's overcoming temptation. He's giving perfect obedience to the Father's will, not giving in to temptation as you and I do. Perfectly obeying the Father's will on our behalf, interceding for his disciples while they slept from sorrow. And so the contrast here that Luke shows us, Judas' betrayal... Jesus' arrest, Peter's denial, Jesus' mockery, Jesus' beating, his unjust trial, all of this further underscores his selfless divine service on behalf of needy sinners. When Jesus rose from the dead, this was the vindication that he was a perfect suffering servant. How do we know this? Because Luke goes on in his gospel to show how Jesus' service culminates in his crucifixion, chapter 23, in his burial at the end of chapter 23, in his resurrection of chapter 24, and at the end of chapter 24, his ascension enthroned as the conquering king who has perfectly served. And so in his post-resurrection appearance, when Jesus comes back from the dead, look over at Luke chapter 24 as we bring this to a close. I want you to just see this as we finish. Luke is still showing us in, in his gospel how the servant of the Lord Jesus is serving his people to save them. And here Jesus in his post-resurrection appearances, he is still appearing serving his people. And what does he do for those 40 days before his ascension? Luke tells you. He tells you exactly what he does. He is continuing to serve his people by teaching them, listen carefully in his post-resurrection appearances. He's preparing the church for his departure. And he teaches during those 40 days before his ascension, the central importance of the church dispensing a word and sacrament ministry to its people. That's what he does. He instructs his disciples in a Christ-centered exposition of Scripture, and then he leads them to the table and serves them Holy Communion. Look at this in Luke chapter 24. Let's look at verses 25 through 27. Jesus says to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, he says, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
Look at verse 44. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me and the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Jesus came to fulfill the whole Old Testament scriptures, and he instructs his disciples in a Christ-centered hermeneutic of the Bible. He unequivocally claims that the entire Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi is about him. Victoria went to her first chapel service this past week, and she texted me during chapel service. I heard an uh-oh, that's exactly right. <laughs> and I, I have just drilled in my kids to hate exemplary preaching. You know, uh, be like David, pick up uh, the five smooth stones of whatever virtue you want to come up with and slay the giants in your life. Sure enough, good old Southern Baptist moralistic preacher, because she's at a Southern Baptist university, which I swear my kids would never go to, but the Lord has a sense of humor. Um, she, she goes, Daddy, this preacher's talking to me about David. I'm like, oh, no, what's happening? <laughs> and he's, 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 he is botching it, Dad. You know, I'm like, I'm just going, yeah, she gets it. So I get out my Graham Goldsworthy book, and I start taking pictures with my turbo scan on my iPhone, and I take pictures of the section where Graham Goldsworthy actually describes how you read and understand the story of David and Goliath in the Bible so that you get Jesus in it and not be like David. And I sent it to her right in the middle of the chapel service. I said, here, share this with that preacher when you get done. Uh, mm. Jesus tells us, here's the point of that little uh, story. Jesus tells us right here, he is the point of the Bible. What are you looking for when you read the Bible? Look for Jesus. He is the point. And he just told us that. It is only when we say all the scriptures are centered on Christ as the revelation of the triune God, so that in the Old Testament, everything about Jesus points forward to him, and in the New Testament, everything looks back in fulfillment about him, that is the only time you will be able to understand the Bible. And that's what Jesus teaches during this 40 days before his ascension. Then Luke tells us, I want you to see this, that after he instructed the disciples in a Christ-centered hermeneutic exposition of the Bible, Genesis to Malachi, there's no New Testament at this point. Remember, they had Genesis to Malachi. Having instructed them in a Christ-centered exposition, Jesus then serves his disciples as the servant of the Lord. He serves them communion. And Luke says that it is at that point that the disciples' eyes, the two disciples on the Mass Road, their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Look at verse 31 of chapter 24. Jesus preaches this, the greatest biblical theology lesson ever given in the history of mankind, right? Now I'm on the page of every scripture. And then look at this. He says, so let's just look at verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table, now when was the last time he was at table with his disciples? Luke chapter 22. 
the passage we've been looking at this morning when he instituted the new covenant, right? And he instituted the Lord's Supper, fulfilled Passover. This is intentional here. This is why he instituted in Luke 22 the Lord's Supper for disciples to serve them. Look what he does. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And look at verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. That's powerful. Luke is telling us that through the example of Jesus' post-resurrection teaching ministry for those 40 days, that it is by the means of grace, the gifts of God for the people of God, word and sacrament, that the gift giver will gather his gathered guests together and will serve his people to be present with them and active in their midst, saving them. It was through a Christ-centered exposition of the Bible and then through the dispensing of the Lord's Supper that, look, the disciples' eyes were open. What do we want people to get when they come to Paramount Church in the service? We want their eyes to be opened by the power of the Holy Spirit and see Jesus and be changed. How will that happen? Word and sacrament. This is what he's teaching us here. This is how God comes to serve his people when he is gone. Jesus is no longer present. So how does he continue this service? He descends in the power of his spirit and he blesses the means that he's promised to bless to be present and active with his people, saving them. It is through word and sacrament. How do we know this? Because in Luke 24, verses 44 through 49, Jesus promises to send the Holy Spirit to empower his disciples for life and service. And so though Jesus is not physically present with us in the flesh due to his ascension, he continues to be present with us by his spirit through word and sacrament in his church. And so the Holy Spirit is God's empowering presence amongst his people now, working powerfully to serve and save his people. So as we reflect this morning on Luke's presentation of Jesus as the true and faithful servant, Jesus' pronouncement, I am among you as the one who serves, takes on paramount importance, doesn't it? His entire life was comprised of running service to others. And even though he would soon undergo an agonizing death, he loved and served his disciples. John says in John 13 verse 1, he loved and served them to the end. And the good news of the gospel is this, is that the end of his incarnation doesn't mark the end of his service. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the author of Hebrews says, By his priestly intercession, Jesus always lives to make continual intercession for them. What do you live for? Jesus lives to serve you. That's what he lives for. 
He lives to make continual intercession on your behalf. There will never be a time when Jesus ceases to be your servant and ceases to serve his people before the Father. How do I know that? Listen to 1 John chapter one, uh, 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The gospel is not a license to sin. But if anyone does sin, and we will, listen, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. The whole world has no other propitiation but Jesus And he is that for us eternally as our advocate before the Father. Every time you sin, it's a real sin. And the enemy of your faith takes it before the Father and says, see, look at that. And Jesus says, see, look at this. It's covered. I'm your advocate. He serves you. He lives. He ever lives to be your intercessory high priest and advocate before the Father. He serves you forever. Thanks, John. That's a message entitled, The Living God is Our Servant, Part 2. More from the Gift Giver series coming up next time. The heart of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. With each message, our prayer is you would hear, believe, and enjoy the gospel in your life. If you want to re-listen to or share any of these messages, you can find our smartphone app or locate our podcast by searching for Dr. John Fonville or Him We Proclaim. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to learn more about his local church in Jacksonville, Florida, you can visit ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.